rewind really quickly and talk about where we ended last week. We talked that at the very first of Nehemiah, we get the guests have come to meet Nehemiah and tell him the story of what has happened in their home. That the city is burned, that the walls have been torn down, and all this was undone. And Nehemiah's first response was to go straight to God. There wasn't a question. He ran towards God. It is the same thing that we must do when we are left with something that we see as undone. When we see something that is left unjust, we have to be activated at some point in our lives to go pursue those things that people see and no one does. I I was watching a video this week of this street fight that was happening. It was an awful moment between a whole group of the worst of the worst and an individual person. Now, you would think it was somewhere far secluded in a way. No, this was right in the middle of a city street. And what's amazing about it is one man versus about eight people masked. And they begin to hit this guy and kick this guy. And you know what the bystanders did? No one ran to his aid. No one said, hey, y'all got to stop this. Instead, they went, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. It's how I got to see it. Is that somebody videoed it without taking any action. Our world has plenty today that needs to be done. There's so much injustice that we get it, right? We're hoping and praying that someone else will do it, that perhaps the government will step in and do something. It is not the government's job to take care of what God's people were called to do. It's our job. And at some point, we've got to get to that place where our bellies are full enough of in injustice. And at some point, we've got to see so much that's undone that we get that moment of activation. That we plug in our batteries, that we get charged up, and then we go. I wanted to capture something today that I hope you'll hear completely. We absolutely must pray that God does things in our world. And then we absolutely must go. I believe that as the church, we have been well equipped enough to go to the Lord in prayer, but we have not got actionable enough to go do anything about it. In Nehemiah's story, he doesn't stay in his prayer closet praying. That is not the story of Nehemiah. Instead, we get this, that after Nehemiah has prayed, and we talked about that last week, he is called to action. Now, Nehemiah didn't have the ability just to go. Being the cupbearer, and we talked that he was really high up. To be the cupbearer means that you have got clout. Somebody has spoken on your behalf. Some point in your life, and he was a captive person, he is ranked up enough to be right next to the king all the time and someone the king trusted completely. I mean, if the cupbearer breaks his oath, the king dies. And so Nehemiah was trusted, Nehemiah was taken care of, and we'll see that later in Scripture by this position. But I want you to capture today what he does next. He doesn't stay inactive, he keeps a prayerful life, but he's also called to action. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah says this, During the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I have never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad when, you're, uh, when you aren't sick? There's nothing but sadness of heart. 
I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city of my ancestors is, is burned, uh, is buried, lies in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what's your request? I want you to capture this moment for a second because this is not an easy moment. This is full of tension. Because the next thing that Nehemiah says could be his last words. I mean, he doesn't have the ability to command the king to do anything. Nor does he have the ability to command some time off. I mean, his every day is spent taking care of the king. I mean, he is the most trusted guy he could have in his life. And at this point, he sees Nehemiah, and he's downhearted. And you can just imagine the king's like, man, I don't get this. You're not sick. Why are you sad? And he says, where I grew up is burned. And I, I, I can't take it. And the king, who knows Nehemiah at this point, looks to him and just says, well, what are you going to do about it? Let me just leave that question before you um, right now. We'll come back to it later. What are you going to do about it? And so Nehemiah takes the bold move. Listen to what he does. What's your request? And what does the very next thing say he does? He does what? I prayed to the God of the heavens. And he answered and answered the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah, to the city where my ancestors were buried, so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. I want to tell you this only is pleasing to the king because Nehemiah started with the right move. He didn't go to this king. He went to the king of kings. The king of kings can change the heart of kings. And we need to remember that in our life, that when it feels like the opposition is too great, you need to go to somebody that no one can beat. The king of kings is big enough and strong enough to tear down any kingship and set any kingship up. So in this moment, it pleases the king to send him. Verse 7, he doesn't stop. So I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he'll give me the timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I lived. The king granted my request, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. Did you capture that? Nehemiah captures the real thing that's happening here. God's hand was on Nehemiah. And the reason God's hand was on Nehemiah is he went to the hand. He went directly to there. If we want the hand of God, we can't sit back and hope it happens. Go to his hand. And I'll take you one step further. If you want God's hand, search for his heart. You'll always find it. That's how we have the hand of God upon us. So verse 9, I went to the governors of the region, west of Euphrates, and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. Did you capture that? The king's like, if I'm sending you away from me, I'm sending you with some guys that can help you. When Sanoblad of the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of Israelites, they were greatly displeased. 
After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me, and I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding, and I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but further down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by the way of the valley to inspect the wall, then headed back and I entered the valley gate and returned. The officials didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing, for I had not told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who, were, who would be doing the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we'll no longer be a disgrace. I told them how gracious the hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. Nehemiah had no clue what he was about to encounter. He didn't know if he would get there and if the stories were true. He'd been in captivity for so long, he didn't see the rubble and the ruin. Instead, he heard the stories, and his heart was so unsettled by just the stories, he couldn't stay at home any longer. He couldn't wake up the next day and just be the cupbearer any longer. He had to do something about it. That was a call to action for him. It drove him to do something. What breaks your heart will drive your steps. What breaks your heart will drive your steps. The question is this. When is the last time in faith your heart was broken for something? When is the last time that when you saw something you didn't go, that's somebody else's problem, someone else will take care of that, or it's so far from me I don't care? When's the last time you went, I've got to do something about this? You see, when our hearts are broken, our feet will activate. Until then, we will be stagnant. So let me give you something I believe all of our hearts should be broken for. We live in a culture today that thinks that Jesus is worthless. They believe that he was nothing more than a fictitional character at best. They believe that if he is true, he was, he was a swindler. That he told good stories and performed magic tricks and he died. That's not my Jesus. Is it your Jesus? Is it the Jesus that you read in the Bible? If that's what we see in our world, doesn't it cause us to be stirred a little bit that our world doesn't see Jesus like we do? I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud because I, I think this is really personal. But I, I just want, if it was just me and you in the room, no one else could hear you because you're not going to say this out loud, but it's just us two. You ever doubted? You ever have that moment where you just kind of said, but what if he's not real? And what if the Bible isn't really real? What do I do? What happens if at the end of this life, I, we just die? I mean, we get buried and that's it. You ever have that doubt arise? Here's what I believe happens in the life of even Christians. I believe the enemy is constantly wanting you to believe that you can't believe who Jesus is. Here's why. If he can convince the church, he can absolutely convince the world. But here's the problem with that. I believe in Jesus because the Bible has taught me, but that's not the only reason I believe in who Jesus is. 
I also believe in because of what he's done in my life. Because what he's done in my life, I can see in the scriptures and go, hey, that's me. I, I just want you to capture this. As a preacher's kid, I was drawn to read through scripture by my dad. I had great Sunday school teachers, great RA leaders that challenged me to study scripture and read it and memorize it. And as I grew up in faith, I read through the Bible several times. But can I tell you what happens every time I reread the Bible? I see something new. I capture a new truth that I didn't see before. And what's more is this. I can, I don't want to dare you. I double dog dare you to read scripture for one reason. Whatever you're going through, I promise you this. You're going to find it in scripture. You're going to find it. And it's the reason the Holy Spirit is so alive now, is that he knows you, and he knows the path you're going to take. And I can assure you this, if you spend time in the Word, it's going to show up in your walk and in your life, in what you're going through. It always does that, because it's not just a book. It's not a dictionary. It's not a historical document. Even though it has all those things, it's alive. And it wants to change our lives. If we'll spend time with the Word, it's going to show us more and more the character of who Jesus is. And so when we experience Him in our lives, we can recognize it's Him. Let me give you the other side of that coin. You're going to have experiences in your life that you're going to think are Him. But they won't look like what Scripture says about Him. And if you don't spend time in the Word, you're going to think it's Him. And it won't be. When I was growing up, there were two Ashleys in my elementary class. The one Ashley I knew lived down the block from me. She was a pretty blonde-haired girl. I kissed her next to her trash can behind her house. <laughs> the next day, she denied it ever happened. Very scandalous. I think we're in third grade. Um, but I got a note one day at my desk. Remember the cool folded notes that you put the tab in and pulled it out? And it said, do you like me, Ashley? I was excited. Third grade kissing Ashley wrote me a note. I clicked yes. I said clicked, checked yes. Folded it back up, left it on my desk. At lunch that day, the other Ashley sat next to me. The other Ashley was the mean kid in class. You know what I'm talking about, that one girl that all the guys were afraid of? She was like, you're going to go eat lunch with me, punk. You know, I was like, that was that Ashley. And she sat next to me and she said, I saw you got my note. She didn't talk like that, by the way. That was just in my mind. And I was like, yes, ma'am. You know, because you didn't want to say no. She has documentation. You know, it turns out that Ashley is a great mom, lives in the same community, married to a great husband, one of my best friends growing up. The other Ashley, I don't even know where she went. But listen, when you don't know who's sending you the note, you'll think it's always the person you thought it was, unless you have documentation. The Bible is documentation to know God's voice. So if you don't spend time in it, you're going to hear a voice. It may not be his. That's why we need the word of God. That's why you need to spend time with it. Nehemiah knew he couldn't just say, I'm leaving. King, I'll be back in a few. Peace. Because the king could say death to Nehemiah. 
So Nehemiah goes to God and says, God, I, you're going to have to help me here. Your city's destroyed, and it's our fault. If you go back to Nehemiah's prayer, he never blames it on the Babylonians. He blames it on their sin, his sin. And he says, help me, Lord. And the Lord, I, I don't know when it happened in King Artaxerxes' life. I don't know if he woke up that morning and went, Whatever Nehemiah asks, the answer is yes. But I know this, that God can speak to any heart. And that day when Nehemiah came in, the king saw him. And he said, Nehemiah, why, why do you look like this? I know you're not sick. What's, what's going on? You can just imagine the queen who trusts Nehemiah as well because she's taking care, he's taking care of her man. They're listening in as Nehemiah says, my ancestral city is in ruins. My heart's broken. And the king says, well, what are you going to do about it? What do you want? What's your request? Tell me and we'll make it happen. And, and here's the funny thing that God, even when God makes a path, when he makes a path, not everyone will celebrate it. But at this moment, the king does. What's funny is those closer in, Sambalat and Tobiah, they didn't. They hear this path and they, they go, it's never going to happen. What a big dream. But you know what Nehemiah did? He took it anyway. Nehemiah took the path. He ran hard after it because God had inspired him. And when we listen to God, God will give us the path to take if we will listen. If we just listen in, God will do what he says he wants to do. There was a reason why Nehemiah heard this report. There's a reason why these people came there to give it. Because God had started a path that he needed a Nehemiah to walk down. And there's a path, I believe today, that God is needing you to walk down. He's just waiting for you to be obedient. He's waiting for you to say yes when you've always said no or someone else. God is waiting for you to show up like you said you always would. When you and I came to know Christ, we said in that moment, God, I want you to save me from my sins, but I also want you to lead my life. At times in our life, we have to make a decision. Did we lie about him leading our lives? We want him to save us from our sins. We want to go to heaven. We just don't know if we want to be led by God who may ask us to do something for him. There's a, a missionary uh, that I just got acquainted with. His heart was broken because he looked into the region where Paul moved, where the gospel was at its height, where all the churches were in the New Testament, where the church was growing, where the gospel was being shared, while thousands of people were coming to be saved. And he went there modern day, and you can't even hear the name of Jesus. It broke his heart. He sold all he had stateside. And he moved there. And he takes people on tours of all those cities. And as they walk through the city, he says, Did you know there was a, a man named Paul who wrote to a church? You see those ruins? That's where it was. You know what he told them? Next city. Did you know that same guy wrote to this church here? And this is what he told them about Jesus? Have you all ever heard that story before? He does this every day as a tourism guy. 
and he brings missionary teams in to go with him. And as he goes through and as he shares that story, he gives those people the wink, your turn. And I say, you know what Jesus has done in my life? You all were given a testimony at that moment where Jesus saved you. And it may not be like Jesus saved you from a drug house or from, you know, internment or whatever it may be. It may not be that he saved you out of a burning ship. It, it may be that when you were six, you gave your heart to Christ. But can I just tell you something? It mattered the same. Your testimony matters the same because you were a sinner destined for hell. But Jesus came and died for your sins and rescued you from it. Just as much as he did anybody else with a more extravagant story. We all had the same story. We all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of those sin equaled death. But God loved the world so much. And by the world, he didn't mean the Rocky Mountains or the trees or your pet Momo. Your pet Momo is a dog or a cat or if you have a cat named Momo. You need to walk the aisle right now. You just come on. Um, but God loved the world, and when he says that, he doesn't mean the, the water or the ice caps. He means you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't simply perish, not only this life, but in eternity, but they would have eternal life through him you and I have got to do something about it you can't just hear it time and time again and do nothing with it to do that would be insanity this story would be an awful biblical story if Nehemiah hears this story and does nothing with it if we just hear oh I heard this story and I prayed and said God send someone else let someone else do it amen we would all go huh into Nehemiah. What a crazy Bible story. That's not Nehemiah. Our world needs more Nehemiahs. They don't just hear what God is doing, but says, I want to be a part of that. I've got to see something done about that, and I want to be the one that does it. Man, the church should be the leading anchor for all injustice to be done and twisted back to just. We should be those that point to truth and call out lies. But what's funny is the church looks eerily like the world, and so people say Jesus can't be any different. You see, an unbelieving world is never going to believe in a Jesus that the church doesn't. They're looking for us. They're looking to see, does it make any difference that you showed up at church today? Are you going to leave and be changed in some way? Or are you just going to look just like you did last night? How many of you watched the Super Bowl? It's okay, you can raise your hand. This is active. It'll keep you awake. Okay. Any of y'all become missionaries of the Super Bowl on Monday? I bet you did. I mean, I was. My boy Pat Mahomes from Texas Tech won the Super Bowl. Amen to Texas Techers. Okay. Um, but we talked about it, didn't we? Like we shared with it. I mean, Craig Holcomb, who has been a Kansas City fan for forever, which means year after year of loss, Wore his Kansas City shirt on Monday. He was like, oh, did, did y'all notice my shirt? You're welcome. Bask in my glory. 
we all became missionaries. We wanted to talk about it. The commercials. The halftime show. Yeah, see, missionaries, okay. What we experience, we talk about. What we experience, we talk about. The question is, have we experienced Jesus? Because if we experience him, we'll talk about him. He'll come out in everything we do. But here's the thing. We can't tackle what's undone. Uh, can't tackle the undone God has put before us without proximity. Nehemiah has to go walk the walls. He's walking, he's touching the gates that have been burned. Gates that he remembers probably as a kid seeing. Walls that he probably saw, a home that he used to live in. He sees it all, and as he's walking, you can just imagine the memories coming back of what used to be. You remember what used to be in your mind about faith? About church? I can remember it. I grew up in small town America. In small town America, when it was Sunday, you went to church. Anybody that didn't go to church got the church stink eye. It looks like this. Mm-hmm. Save them, Jesus. You know what didn't happen in my generation? We didn't stop our cars to talk to our neighbors. We just gave them stink eye and drove by. Grandparents, let me just tell you something in this room. Those of you that are in the greatest generation, to raise up the next generation, they have to stand on the shoulders of the first one. We need you that have lived out your faith for years now to rise back up again. We need you to take your place and to teach and to train. You baby boomers in the room, we need you to rise. We need you to stand up tall and reclaim faith again like you can remember. We need you to help us build the community that used to drive you to church. It was the same community that you would get around in circles with a guitar and sing about. We need you to help us build it. You Gen Xers, did you know there's less of us in the church than any generation before? We're invisible. We're watching churches grow around us but never participating in them. I'm not blaming our parents. It's on us. The student generation, let me just tell you something. Don't let the church tell you about faith. Study it and live it. And shame all of us in the process. Show us what it looks like to live out Jesus every day with your faith. And don't wait on us to lead it. You do it. Show us how it really should look because we've forgotten it. And let me just tell you for the kiddos in this room. I can see y'all in this room, you that aren't in student ministry yet, but are in our children's ministry. Don't let us ruin your faith. Instead, lead the way again, like they did this Sunday. Hearing words from our kids like, let's pray for revival in our country, in our city, and in our church. May we remember this, that we are the church of now. And if we allow it to go undone, if we allow others to try and fill a need that God has called the church to do, eventually there will be no church left. But not here. Not you. Not me. You see, we're raising up a church that looks like Nehemiah. That sees the world and says, we cannot sit back and allow others to do what God has called us to do. We will not sit back and let others ask of God. We will ask of God. We are going to plead and ask and say, God, lead us, send us, 
move us. And if it can't be us, Lord, move us out of the way. May we be captivated by the thought that God is calling you and I to do something today other than sit. He is calling us to pray and go. And a lost world is waiting for our voices to say something. And they should hear something today. No more sitting back. You know how many other people heard the story Nehemiah heard and did nothing? You know how many people were living in the city that day that weren't rebuilding the walls? A whole church full. Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah left it behind because his heart broke and he could not stand it. But let me just share with you what happens when Nehemiah gets proximity. He gathers the people together and he says, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem so also will no longer be a disgrace. And then Nehemiah breaks into his testimony. He says, can't you see that God's hand has been on this? Can't you see that he's been at work? Can't you see that the king has even bought into it? And what's their response when they see a Nehemiah? They say, let's go. Let's start rebuilding Nehemiah. Share your burden and invite help in the work. I'm asking you to be bold today and answer the question, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about Jesus in your life? Do you know him as Savior and Lord? Has he saved your sins and is he also leading your life? You have to answer that personally. Don't let your father's faith be your faith. It needs to be personal to you. You should know Jesus personally because it's going to matter when the world calls and says the walls have fallen down and some of y'all have seen the walls some of you have seen the rubble and some have said no when God asked you to go today is a day to repent of that today is your day to say Lord I've said no for way too long when you've asked me to say yes my greatest prayer as a pastor is this that I would pastor a church that we couldn't keep people in because they keep going to serve him. Y'all, I, I want you to hear from my heart. I am not in the church multiplication business. God has not called me as a pastor to build the kingdom of Quell Creek. I love our church and I love when new people come and I hope you stick and stay. But let me just tell you, my greatest heart is this, that you would see something that needs to be fixed and do it that you would be called by God and led by him and motivated to say yes when everyone around you says no. Be a Nehemiah in a world full of people that are saying no. That proximity of walking those gates, of walking that wall, of touching the broken brick, motivated Nehemiah to not just sit by any longer, but to share the burden and invite to the work. So I'm going to invite you into the burden and share the work with you. Our city is lost. We are more unchurched than any other point in Amarillo's history today. We have more people that woke up today and didn't even think about worshiping Jesus. There's more people today planning what they're going to watch on TV and where they're going to eat lunch than worshiping Jesus Christ. Our burden is great. They live amongst you. They're your family. 
They're your coworkers. They're your classmates. The question is, will it break your heart today that they don't know Jesus? I pray all the time that the Lord would return. I'm praying it soon. But you know what's heartbreaking about that prayer? It's selfish. Because I want to go be with Jesus. But I don't know if my neighbor across the street just down from me knows him. And if they don't know him, I'm praying they go to hell. So here's my question to you. Are you okay? What's the day where you sit? Being okay with your coworker, your classmate, your friend, your neighbor, your child, your parents going to hell. Let me ask a more personal question. Are you okay? You see, today is your opportunity to say, what are you going to do about it? What will you do with Jesus Christ in your life? Because there's so much work to do. And Jesus needs his people to run towards it. And he wants you to be one of his people. But to be one of his people, you've got to give your life to him. Your sin is too great to be a part. Yes, there's people that don't know Jesus that are doing amazing things in our world. I mean, they're, they're solving great mysteries. They're in great science. They're, I mean, they're saving lives. But at the end of their day, if they don't point people to Jesus, what are they doing? Because this world is not meant to last forever. And our time on it certainly is not. So what are you going to do about it? Today, what will you do with Jesus? If you don't know him as Savior and Lord, today you should. You shouldn't leave this room without knowing. Second is this. If you do know him, boy, we need to be praying that he is absolutely the Lord of our lives and that we're listening to him and that we're participating in what he's doing. Today is your day to say, what are you going to do about it? And that's my prayer for you, that today you'd be a Nehemiah instead of a city of people sitting there watching the walls and doing nothing about it. Let me pray for you. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that we would see Jesus for who he is. Lord, that he loves us so much that he gave his life for us. Lord, we just sang a song earlier about how in him we're free. I mean, we get true freedom that even the the grave couldn't hold him, Lord. So that means that even though death this side of heaven may end our lives here, he made a way that eternity, we can be with him. That everlasting life would continue into eternity. God, I pray that my friends in this room would know you. Lord, that you would lead their lives, Lord, that you would remind them that you can save them from their sins. You can lead their life, and Lord, you can speak over them and show them all that you've called them to do. Lord, what a glorious thing to know that you would invite us into any work you're doing. So thank you, Lord, for inviting us. Lord, as we worship you in this time, Lord, may my friends find the reason to give everything to you. Lord, that someone would come to know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, that someone would come today and just declare, I need to be completely healed of my sin. Lord, that there would be repentance today. Lord, that someone would declare, I know Jesus, but I've I've never followed in obedience in anything like baptism or anything like that, and I need to do that. Lord, maybe today they just need a church home that's going to equip them to send them out. 
God, no matter what, we want to give you the glory and the praise in every decision we make. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here, before you stand, I'm going to invite you. These steps up here are an altar that we kneel before a holy God at. We just declare that he is worthy. We, we lay our prayer burdens here. We gather together in groups here. Maybe today you just need to come and pray and say, God, I want to be a Nehemiah. I want to be somebody that can be counted upon, Lord. Would you call me? Would you send me, Lord? I want to be sent by you. Lord, give me eyes to see the broken walls. Give me eyes to see the burn gates. Make me a Nehemiah. Maybe today you just need to talk to somebody about what it means to be saved or join a church or to be a repentant person. Today, we're just going to be several of us down here. We'd love to talk to you about that. But today is your day. You come respond right now. Would you stand with us? Let's worship Jesus. Let's surrender to him this morning as we sing.